Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is... Show title has been delayed due to weather. That was on Twitter from EJ. And a very similar one posted just seconds later by WM Ryan says we will have an updated title in 10 minutes. And of course, uh, thank you to Matthew Biano 44 for reminding us that it is indeed nice weather for ducks. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. And yes, we are going ahead and having a race review for the race that never was. We're doing a race review despite there being zero green laps uh, on on the race course all day because we've got the kind permission of our better halves to escape to our sheds and offices to chat F1. What are we going to do? Spend more time with our families? No, thank you. There's plenty of talking points to be had over the course of the weekend and definitely enough talking points to provide you with some background listening for your commute or while you're doing your chores on a Monday. And uh, I know it is massively disappointing not to get any racing. My 11-year-old is fuming. Uh, He was made to miss the Hungarian Grand Prix to go and visit relatives. He was livid then, and he's been waiting four weeks for there to be racing again. And I'm pretty sure he holds me personally responsible uh, for that. But I have to say, I actually warned my son before today's race. I said, "I I think there is going to be some kind of accident today. And we had that chat where I said, Look, there are human beings in those cars. So just be mindful of that when you're reacting to an event on track today. I've, I've got a bit of a, a funny feeling in my gut. And that was before the rain. That was before the downpours and the stoppages because the memory of F2 cars pouring into a stationary F2 car that had rebounded into a track is still very fresh. That memory is still very raw. 
with the tragic loss of Antoine Hubert, Hubert and, and then with the six W Series cars all piling on top of each other on the top of the hill, as well as the crash with Lando Norris on the Saturday, I was already holding my breath before any of that happened. And then for those of you who've been watching F1 for, for a little amount of time, I think lots of you, as the rain was coming down, would have had your mind go back to 2014, to, to Suzuka, and I was torn. I have to admit, I was torn all day. There was a racing part of my heart that, that just wanted some kind of racing, that was saying, come on, there's a window there. Come on, they're driving the cars around. They, they, can, they can go around for longer. Just keep trying, keep looking for any opportunity to keep going. But there was another part of my heart that looked at all that rain and said, not today, please. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not disappointed, really. You can call me soft all you want. I, I don't think I am. I think in a past life, I've had plenty of risk-reward analysis in my career. But there really is a part of me today that didn't mind the decision and, in fact, appreciates the very difficult decisions made by the FIA today. So looking back to 2014, they were driving under double-waved yellows. Jules Bianchi went off track and hit a lifting vehicle. So now, when we see lifting equipment on track, we go, oh my goodness, why is that lifting equipment on track? But we didn't back then. If you look back then, you weren't screaming at the TV when you saw lifting equipment. It was, it was almost like a random element that had been created by the rain. So you think, well, today we don't have that lifting equipment on track. But what would have been the freakish thing that happened today because of those conditions? What thing would have been thrown up for the first time that in future years we'd look at and go, of course, of course we don't have that thing. But I'll remind you as well that a stationary car on track, as we know, can be just as deadly. And I know there's lots of people out there who will just be screaming, just get on with it. It's racing. It's dangerous. Danger will always be a part of racing. And to that I say, I think you can accept that motorsport is inherently dangerous. You can have that. You can know that motorsport is a risk, but you can also fix specific and known dangerous elements. I don't think there's any bravado points for wanting to continue going with a known dangerous element. And modern F1 cars in those conditions today is a rodeo that we've all been through before. Don't worry, I'm not on my own. I'm also joined by Matt Trumpets. An interesting afternoon, Matt. An interesting and lengthy afternoon for those of us who were watching the race for the podcast. And I think we will have, remarkably, quite a lot to talk about, even though the on-track action during the actual race, which some people refuse to call a race, was perhaps less than what we're normally accustomed to. Well, we can call it the F1 weekend, can't we? But on a normal race review, we have so many notes from the build-up to the race and qualifying that we never get around to doing. So today, we can look at some of that qualifying action in a bit more detail. There's a lot of stuff about the Spa track itself and some F1 news as well that we can cover, uh, should we wish to. Indeed, and I'm looking forward to all of it, especially with our other panelists. Well, it's time to remind everybody that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. <laughs> okay, well, that's clearly not the intro bumper, but as you can hear, I'm already being mocked by my panel. Kyle Power, how's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you, Spanners. I think you summed that up beautifully at the start. Um, 
what can we say? I'm going to do my um, Alfa Romeo driver lineup noise of how to sum that up. Um, very stressful and frustrating. I actually felt a bit sorry for Mike Massey at times, yep. getting questions that he couldn't answer really, even though he should be able to answer them. Um, oh, what a mess. What else can we say? And the, the real losers today were the fans stuck out there getting soaked. I have been there at Spa in 2010. The Friday was a washout. It is not fun. So they're the real losers today and they're the ones I feel sorry for. We'll talk a lot about Michael Massey's decisions, but straight up front, there's there's a couple of things that impressed me. A, he did make those decisive calls when he had to make them. And when challenged, instead of being defensive or dismissive, he went to consult. And when he saw evidence that was contrary to his initial opinion, he, he went back on that and made the correct decision, which which is all you can really ask for. Yeah, he was put in massively tight spots and I think he behaved quite well. And yeah, he wasn't getting annoyed as we've heard previously. He was just very calm and you turning on the Red Bull decision. It was fascinating to hear that exchange. And he was like, oh, you may have got me there. Don't don't actually know. Let me go and check. And that is exactly the right attitude. Exactly. A wise man changes his mind when the evidence changes. Speaking of wise men, we've got from Denmark, Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? Mr. Charmer. Someone called me your Greek cousin. I like it. <laughs> yes, you do have that kind of soap opera, initially good looking hero protagonist turned bad boy look about you, to be fair, Christian. I was thinking more about the family relation between us. I mean, the dinners, you would have to invite me more over, stuff like that. Yeah, I, th- I think we can make that work. How did you spend your day-to-day folding laundry, doing dishes, waiting and hoping for some action? Bit of a strange day, wasn't it? Um, we all You're sort of like nude in your stomach that things would be postponed. And you still, as you said in your intro, you still wanted the race to go on. Yeah. but didn't really want it to go on and also you wanted to see some fights but you didn't want Verstappen to go out in the first corner and then destroy his race and stuff like that so it was a bit of a black and white situation today I think yeah okay well look let's do one I promised which is focus on some of the pre-race stuff which we never get to do I'm pretty sure Kyle that you are going to be a fan of the Alonso visor cam where where has that been for all of our lives in F1 I know. Amazing. I absolutely love it. I was having not an argument, but a discussion with people on Twitter about this because I was demanding, well, pretty much demanding that why don't we have this? There is no excuse to have this. IndyCar has it. We've seen it in Formula E. We've seen it back in 2011 with Paul DeResta himself in in Formula One. So as long as it does not compromise safety at all, then I can't see why we don't we don't have them. There is the question of, oh, the teams don't like it. They're giving away information on the <laughs> steering wheel. And that was brilliant. We could see exactly what was going on the steering wheel. But so did the teapod cams at night races. You can still see the steering wheel. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility to put um, a blur box over it either. So unless it's on safety grounds or it's really tricky to have them, to have them on constantly and the teams don't like it, then I can't see why this isn't a more of a regular feature. But what what a joy we were treated to. It was fantastic to watch those laps. Well, frankly, I don't care if the teams don't like it. If every driver (laughs) has one, then it's open access and everyone is operating under the same rule. So let's get every driver a visor cam. And what are we waiting for? As far as I understand, uh, but right now the problem is data. 
and so they have too much data to put into the ECU or wherever it goes through the TCAM section where the other cameras are located. So when they use this camera, they can use the the front wing camera or the uh, the uh, the roll hoop camera. Uh, so I think it's about maybe some evolution of the technology. Maybe talk about new ways of of packaging your media files and stuff like that, so you can get the data down, and then you will see more of this. And also, there's a there's a huge huge element of it uh, from Bell, which is the helmet uh, manufacturer who's uh, invested a lot of time in this. Uh, so it's not just something you do in help, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to take a while for the other ones to catch up on that. Okay, but what it's done is it's ruined the roll hoop cam because when I look at the roll hoop cam now, it, that's not what the driver can see. It, that's not an onboard. Uh, the key difference, I think, Kyle, obviously you do, you've done a lot of racing and I've seen a lot of GoPro footage that you and other members of the crew have done, and, and also that is the view we transmit when we're streaming with vr headsets on sim racing is you really get a sense of what the driver is looking at and it's a much more sporting view than just being a passenger on a webcam on a car yeah absolutely and the key thing with this camera on alonso's helmet was the fact that it was behind his visor so you're getting a really true representation of what he's actually seeing all the other gopro ones i think the indycar ones is the camera's actually stuck on top of their helmet right um it's kind of incorporated into the helmet um but this one's actually behind his visor because that's something that's always fascinated me, um, especially when it's wet. I really wanted to see it today yeah. in the wet because it's yeah. like, like, how bad is the visibility? How good is their visor at clearing the water? And it's not just the water, it's the light bouncing off the track coming through, even during those dry laps that Alonso had. You could see it was pretty hard to see at times. And also his view blocked by his own hand. So that's all fascinating to see. Also yes. what they can see out of the mirrors. So I love this camera. Please, please give us more. The The one thing that i'm curious about matt is whether the vibration we saw on the helmet cam is representative so for example when i've looked at gopro footage i've taken or have watched with kyle i know that in the cart it doesn't feel as vibratey as that because your brain's kind of adjusting so i I could do with just a, a tiny bit of stabilization and just see if the drivers say yes that is reflective of how i do i mean i'm not going for accuracy i'm going for feel Yeah, no, I understand. It would be an interesting question to ask Alonzo to look at that and say, is that what my eyes are seeing? Is that what his eyes are seeing? What we are seeing on the TV screen? That said, he is being damped by his entire body before the vibrations get up there, number one. But you know what I really want to see is the view with those 18-inch wheels attached next season, because we've already heard from Vettel that you can't see the curbs at all when you're turning into a corner. Uh, as far as I know, they they already talking about uh, integrating some sort of stabilization into the cameras, uh, and, and what you s- see in the feed from Alonso's car will always look more uh, bumpy than reality. I actually saw someone who who made like um, you can uh, you can sort of like stabilize footage uh, from a certain point in the picture, and someone did that from Alonso's uh, onboard. And that was maybe a bit too stabilized, but you should try and look that up. Uh, okay. Something in between the two would be reality. Yeah, Brundle seemed pretty happy with it. He actually made the comment of, now we have the vibrations, you're getting more of an authentic um, view of what the drivers see. So maybe there's somewhere in the middle. Um, one of my gripes with the modern onboard cameras are that these 
the shot is too narrow and they're too damped it so it looks slow it looks too mm. calm it looks too smooth i like to have a bit of rawness and a bit of vibration there it gives you exactly. more of a sense of speed as well honestly looking at the alonso on board i know this sounds obvious but i don't want to drive an f1 car <laughs> looking at that it looks violent it looks difficult in the corners it just looks so uh everything's on you way quicker than you could deal with and yeah i mean in deep down in my heart I, some small tiny part of me knew that i couldn't just jump in an f1 car but i think now i now i really know a bit more that's the thing that people don't pick up on or realize because if, if, if you've been fortunate enough to drive a racing car before you touched on it there it's it's violence you don't understand how much of a violent process it is. Even yeah. in a fast car, it's incredibly violent. And you're being chucked around and you just don't get that impression from the TV or the onboard cameras. But this helmet can gives you a slight inkling into the buffeting. So personally, I, I I would like them to keep the buffeting and keep it completely undamped. So we, so we see it like that. But you're right. Sitting in there, can't see your front wing. Imagine doing that with 19 other people around of the violence and the noise. It is absolutely terrifying i don't think the general sort of um casual fan really appreciates yeah. it and imagine your body is swooped into the car and you're like five ten centimeters over the road and your body feels all those vibration all the time through your spine that's what makes it hard yep f1's scary they they probably earn their money okay so matt i will rely on you to give me a flavor of uh free practice because i was doing my best to watch it but i was being I was being led around the Isle of Wight on holiday, very much a passenger on that trip, Trumpets. So I did catch glimpses on Twitter, like Verstappen and Leclerc causing red flags. Anything to be concerned about? Because I I, the, only, the only thing I was thinking of with Verstappen was, where is his headspace at? He came out worse from the Silverstone incident. He then just got just that you-can-do-nothing-about-it-skittle moment with Norris and uh, and Bottas, and then you turn up at free practice and you put it in, you know, you put it off track, you put it in the wall. Yeah, I, I don't think that really affected his head all that much, if I'm being honest. Um, I think it was more, I think it would be more an annoyance. I didn't, I would think for a driver, and I would love to check with Kyle, but the thing that would scare you is if it happens out of nowhere and you don't understand why, you would be like, oh man, now I'm kind of, I'm probably yeah. terrified. But if it's a mistake I know I made, I'm just going to be kind of irritated with myself. Yeah. Um, people always say this involved in motorsport. Um, I've had it myself, albeit at a much slower speed. Is um, It is terrifying. When you crash and you don't know why, you can't put that out of your mind. And that's what destroys your confidences. Um, your confidence. So think of the second Red Bull drivers and they're just losing the rear. Like Albon, we heard him complaining. He's like, I've got no confidence. It's just going to snap on me. This is what we're talking about during our previous episode. If you know why, he goes, oh, I've just hit the white line, then it's easy to put that out of your head. Yeah. Um, and again, I think we always underestimate the mental strength of racing drivers to be able to put something like that behind you and just get on and get on with it. Okay, well, let's move on to qualifying because I was able to to catch that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't without some kind of, you know, spousal debt and the odds the odd side glance I was in there. We were in the middle of a, a field with the children playing and they wanted me to get involved in family activities. But no, I was focused in on watching the, 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 the qualifying. I was so frustrated. I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. I've, I've revealed this before. My iTunes reflu- reviews reflect the ham nature of me and the show on occasion. 
But I was I was distraught with the Mercedes strategy. It just felt like at every point they were half a beat behind. But really, it was Q1, Matt. Just it was yet again they've made a mistake. They've done something different to all the other teams. And having already seen Lewis Hamilton start on the grid line on his own and end up at the back of the grid, it was just a case of, oh, here we go. Here we go again. They've gone out on the used inters and then had to change their mind. It's put them out of sync and it's just messed them up. And it was so close. It was so close to them not making Q2. Yeah, that was really not a joke from their point of view. They left it about as late as you could and still get a lap in. The good news for them is if you're going to leave it that late and need a lap, they're probably in one of the better cars to do that sort of thing in. But any yellow flag, yeah, man, any red flag, and they would have finished, you know, 15th, 16th, 18th today. Yeah, because, I mean, Carl, it was, it was a case of, yeah, they need this lap now. Oh, oh no, they, they're coming in for the pits. All right, well, we're running out of time, guys. Um, you should, okay, then he had a bit of an off. And it just, it just felt like it, was, it wasn't going to come. Yeah, I was shouting at the TV. I'm like, what are you doing? And particularly in Q1 as well, Brundle even mentioned it. He goes, what, what was the point in running around burning the wets when you can see other people on Inters going faster? You're running out of time and leaving yourselves horribly exposed for a yellow flag. We've seen this a few times now with Mercedes in these high-pressure situations. It's almost as if they're too worried about the consequence of, yeah. of screwing up and almost screw up because of that. Yeah, I wondered if they might be a bit restricted. I think I was a little bit unclear there. The decision on used versus new inters was Q2, wasn't it? It was getting through to Q3, and then the, it was the starting off on wets. But a lot of teams did start off on wets in, in Q1, and then Williams seemed to show the way. So I think what Kyle is saying is interesting, because we've seen a really tactically aggressive Williams this year, have we not, Kyle? And they've kind of gone for everything that they possibly can, obviously less to lose, but it shows that when you're not restricted, like Mercedes seem to be, they're a horse tied to a chair. Do you know what I mean? They could, they could run away from that chair at any moment, but they see the rope on the little chair and they stay still. Yes, I agree. Um, George Russell even mentioned it himself afterwards. Oh. He's like, we have nothing to lose. We can, we can make, we could just go for it. And I think they fully committed to having the fastest car over a single lap for qualifying. They went for loads of downforce, whereas Mercedes and Red Bull were watching each other with a big eye on, What's going to happen the next day? Red Bull do seem better at coping in these situations than Mercedes. I do think, as you say, Mercedes sort of, uh, yeah, they bound themselves to to being hesitant and then being left up with their backs against the wall. It's really, really tricky, but Williams pulled a blinder. Uh, They did. They did. So I think we've got a couple of things to explore there, Matt. Uh, Firstly, the the different setups between Red Bull and uh, Mercedes. But I think we'll start off, you know, talking about that George Russell performance would they have had anything for the race? Do they care? Is getting a good qualifying position and, and being up there, you know, a priority? And I think in modern F1, this era of F1, actually qualifying isn't quite the the be-all and end-all that it used to be. Yeah, so qualifying used to be so much more important than it is now in the hybrid era. If you've got a faster car, if you've got a better race setup, you can go and attack in a race. You know, I'm not talking about necessarily Hungara ring Monaco, but on most of the modern or the wider F1 tracks. Yeah, well, with DRS and on a track where overtakes are imminently possible, which Spa absolutely is that track, then then you are not as tied to qualifying. And in fact, I would argue that had we had a normal start, a dry race, 
I could easily see uh, Hamilton leading just because of the toe you get down the Kemmel straight. That said, for a team like Williams, who are still trying to put their technical package back together, the higher up I start and the more defending I can do, the better off I'm going to be. And choosing a high downforce package makes you very vulnerable at, at the beginning and end of the lap. But in the middle of the lap, it allows you to create a gap. And if you place your car well, you're going to make life difficult for people trying to get by you, especially with a Mercedes power unit. Yeah, Matt's nailed it there. Um, for the gain, for somebody like Mercedes to run higher downforce to get a better qualifying position but be vulnerable in the race, they have a lot more to lose. They will slip back and it will be a disaster. If they finish fifth or sixth, it will be a disaster. For someone like a Williams, if they can put themselves right towards the front of the top 10, we see how far, even in tracks we can overtake, we've seen how much the field spreads rather quickly at the start of races. So that time that they will gain over their rivals yeah. who they're battling yeah. with at the back of the grid, that is way, that that will negate how weak they will be on the Sunday. That is a far bigger game for them. Yeah, and it, it just if you are, if you're far enough ahead to just stay out of trouble, A, you're going to avoid Lance Stroll coming through and taking you out, like what happened in the Hungara ring. And you're if you can keep someone behind you, you don't know. You just never know. Their tyres might just suddenly go. They might end up having... Because if you're slower and you're holding up, say, Charles Leclerc, and then that allows Vettel to catch up, suddenly Leclerc's got to start defending, loses time, and, and then you end up gaining that place. So you, you do never know. Christian? I have a little bit of an issue with the qualifying being... Uh, you see, I love the cars just running around in their like maximum trim yeah that is always fun i especially loved it back when they only showed like one lap at a time where you can follow each lap so it was on point but anyways qualifying is very exciting but it just doesn't really mean anything and the only times when it means anything it's for races where the races doesn't mean anything for like monaco so if you have to do a good qualifying for the race to be able to get a uh, finish high then it's because you can't overtake in the race. And that shouldn't be the premise of a qualifying. I think they should give points or some, just give us a carrot for the qualifying. Uh, so, so, so a guy like Russell today would actually gain something from being so awesome. Yeah, and like normally he wouldn't. Today, he has gained points, or has he? That will yeah, come well, up a, later. It's a freak situation today, right? Yeah, uh, but there, I mean, there, there's also some controversy as to whether the points will stand, yeah, which we'll look into yeah. later, which I'm stalling to see if any official confirmation comes through. That's why that topic is all the way over at the end of the show. But I, w I do want your perspective a little bit as well here, Christian, because we have a lot of George Russell hype, especially with mm -hmm. him potentially going to Mercedes in 2022. Toto Wolff thinks he's made a decision he says he's made a decision and this is just my wild speculation but the fact that he said he's made a decision and not announced it has a very bottassy vibe about it I, I remember when they were you know announcing stuff with with perez uh, they uh, aston martin they timed all those announcements for when perez was on a natural low ebb and stroll was on a natural high ebb Announcing Bottas now for 2022 would be PR suicide. So you wait till Bottas picks up a victory and Russell's had a couple of slow races. Then you announce that you're keeping Bottas. That's where I think Mercedes are at at the moment. Complete wild speculation. But with the, uh, the George Russell hype, how is it seen in your part of, of Europe? Are we getting overexcited? It's hard not to when, you know, a British driver 
pops up in Williams in second place on the grid, it's hard for the Brits not to be excited. I think it depends on, on on what point of view you have when you watch F1. But the general fan, I think, is the same as in uh, in England or France or wherever, because Russell is just a fresh breath of air, and you want him to do well. But uh, I have a different take on the Toto Wolf thing. Just a okay, short comment on it, because they've talked about this being announced mid September ish. Well, they said summer. But I'm sure they did. Yeah. Yeah, uh, summer or September, <laughs> sort of. Um, but I don't know if you noticed like a difference in in vibe from maybe I'm totally overanalyzing this, but I felt like a, a, a difference in vibe from uh, Toto Wolff's comments on it before the the good result and qualifying from uh, Russell, and afterwards. Oh, okay. And afterwards, he was more like. Uh, uh, we'll announce it, but in a more cheeky kind of tone. Oh, you think? So, Carl, yeah, I'm, uh, I mean... Carl seems to uh, agree. I, uh, did you see uh, Raikkonen sitting in the Red Bull uh, garage? No. I mean, <laughs> why would he sit in the Red Bull garage during the rain and not in his own team? They say he's leaving next year, but us to Alpha Russell. Da, da, da. You think that's that the, is the rumor? You agree, Kyle? I do, and it's mainly purely based from, I think it was George Russell's interview on the Friday morning in Hungary, where they asked him, what's the decision next year? And he just kind of had a natural sort of burst out laughing reaction. And he was like, oh no, nothing's been been made or we've got nothing to announce. And he, and he, you could see in his face, he couldn't keep a straight face. He was really struggling and he was bursting like he wanted to tell everybody. And I think it's already been done. Like I read that as he knows that he's got that Mercedes seat and has to act dumb now until the rest of it and as kevin said they were like there's nothing to announce Kev, Bottas kevin. straight to it oh, oh my god i just did it didn't i, I? I love it I love, oh I love no it. i love it all it's danish I'm people really kevin. Kevin. in the slack group in the live thing. so i blame all of you in the slack live stream keep saying kevin because i've just fallen straight into your trap uh, hello to our live stream at the moment the live streams are not on youtube oh, the live so streams sorry. are in our patreon slack group but continue kyle even though you should be mortally embarrassed uh, <laughs> so as a um, so as Christian said, when they were sitting in their um, in their press conference, George seemed quite calm and very assured that he knows. And and yeah, it's right. Um, all of the rumors are that that and Wolf has said this himself. Actually, Wolf has said this himself. He said we're not going to announce until we've sorted the futures of our drivers out. So I think they're just they're trying to get the Bottas deal in place before they announce anything. Okay, well that's less interesting than my that's less interesting than my speculation, Kyle. Mine was more entertaining. All right. Sorry. sorry. Let's hear yours. I want to hear yours. No, I did. I told you mine. Mine is that, oh, I, okay. that I think that they are quite uh, happy. Yeah, having... he's staying. So okay. I, I think this is my little theory. I, I think that Lewis Hamilton is a, a lot more valuable to F1 and Mercedes than people generally think. And I imagine that Lewis Hamilton will genuinely be thinking about if I win this eighth title, should I stay in F1? And I, I would not be surprised if... Dominicali and Wolf were like, hey, dude, hang around a couple of years. You get your piece of the merch pie. It's all going to be super duper because if if Hamilton wins this championship, he's going out. He is the superstar of F1. Look at his social media impressions, uh, his social media following. He is absolutely massive compared to the rest of the F1 field. Is there another superstar ready to take his place? Not quite yet. If he hangs around another couple of years and Verstappen or Norris or Russell ends up being kind of, you know, on that kind of superstar status, then F1 can afford to kind of let him go. 
So that gives Hamilton a bit of power. And I just think that people think he doesn't have a say in his teammate. I think he'd be perfectly happy to have Bottas stay on. And I think people will listen to him if he's making noises about retiring or not. Go on, Christian, please. Oh, just a short comment on on, on Bottas. Uh, we shouldn't forget that when M- Mercedes messes up in the garage like they did here, he goes out there and he 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 gets a decent qualifying. He doesn't. Uh, he, he gets into Q three, even though Mercedes messes things up. So he's he's still delivering yep. on a, a pretty high level, I'd say. Of course, Kyle yeah, Lemon. Yeah, so further on to that and what you were just saying about um, Lewis having having um, input onto who his teammate is, I was quite surprised at the end of qualifying. Lewis wasn't particularly massively enamoured with George being in second or massively friendly. He did give him some praise and appreciation, as he always does to yeah. other drivers in the press conference, but he kind of walked past, looked at him and then looked away and then looked up and gave him a little fist bump and that was it. It wasn't all over him saying, wow, you've just done a yeah, well done, man. You've done a great job. He was very matter of fact and very cold to it. So that's telling me that he was a bit annoyed. He was like, I don't want you to be my right, team next year. I still want Valtteri, but you're making him look bad. So uh, Vivek says, I think that's wishful Hamfosi thinking spanners because he's going to be up against Russell next year. And yeah, kind of. Look, I've made, I don't want to dwell on this, but I've made this point before, Matt. If I was Lewis Hamilton at 27, a couple of world championships, yeah, you'll take the world on. And the same as a Lewis Hamilton fan, I'd be the same. Yeah, take the world on. But when you've got seven titles, maybe eight titles at the end of this year, you don't, and you're old as well, because Lewis Hamilton's, what, mid-30s now for an elite athlete that is old. Do you really want the next big thing right next to you in that seat? I think you've probably earned the right to have your Barrichello. Well, you have. uh, but. More to the point, you have such a brand new technical specification coming in next year. I mean, we've only ever seen Russell really in the Williams and once in the Mercedes in a in a course that had like three corners to it. So yeah. I'm not going to count that. Who knows what the car is going to drive like next year? Yeah. And and Botas has a long history with the engineers and working with the engineers at Mercedes. And if it's going to come down to the same kind of battle that we're seeing this year with Red Bull or with Red Bull and Ferrari, let's say, I don't know. Do I want a rookie whose performance might occasionally be inconsistent or do I want someone who can give me that kind of feedback and that kind of support to the driver that I still still feel to be the best on the grid overall? And, And that's my hesitation with Russell at the moment is that when he does really, really well, it is highlighted. And when he does well, it is spectacular and he is pulling out these results but what we're not seeing is, okay, let's judge him against a full season against a relentlessly consistent competitor. So we we just haven't seen him over a season against a, a Hamilton or a, or a Verstappen or even a Russell. He's been fighting. I, I don't like the, the term is fighting bums, but, you know, I know, you know, Robert Kubica, he had, you know, limitations that he had to deal with. And, and, and also I, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from Latifi. He isn't probably top draw caliber F1 skill. So at the moment, Russell is unproven against a teammate consistently over a season. He can pull these results off like we had on Saturday. And these results do happen. These second places in a Williams, they do happen. Stroll pulled one off in 2017. Holkenberg, you know, got a pole. Bottas, didn't he get a, a Canada? Second. Second. In Russia. Yeah, Poland. exactly. He almost took a pole in Russia. Yeah. 
and, and there was one at Canada, but I forget who did it in changeable conditions. So these changeable conditions qualifying things, they do happen, and not all those drivers turn out to be F1 savants. However, if you want to get excited about George Russell, increasingly these could happen to anyone, kind of occasionally do happen to people. Results keep happening to George Russell. So, you know, it's it's getting beyond a fluke is is all I'd say. But you're right about the consistency, Matt. We've just, we don't know yet. Go on, Kyle, sorry. Well, with consistency, um, you need to be adaptable to adapt to several things changing over the season to remain consistent. And I think George Russell has shown us all he needs to show in the terms of adaptability and jumping straight into a Merc that he didn't fit in and being instantly yep. on the pace and, or, and and being completely robbed of the race win. Um, for me, that alone, it sounds a bit short-sighted, but I think that was enough to show me if I was a team boss of, yes, you are, you are absolutely ready for this. We've thrown you in the deep end. You weren't supposed to be anywhere near as good as that. Yeah, you've earned your, you've earned your seat. Last season's Merc. Had he done it in this season's, I'd be more impressed. I'm just I'm just going to say, you know, he he walked into one of the most planted and easy to drive for a Formula One car. No Formula One car is easy to drive. Just going to get that out of the way. But relatively speaking, he got a pretty plum assignment compared to his Williams. Oh, agree. But to counter that, he's changed concepts. The Williams are high rate concepts and the Mercs are low rate. It's a totally different car and the philosophy of how it's made. So in that it was it may have been a planted car, but it's a very different car. And in repost, I shall simply add that pretty much all of Mercedes was focused on getting him a decent result there. That will not be the case so much if he's a regular teammate to Hamilton. I just want to add that the the, the qualifying, there was one freak, one freak, freakingly good driver, not like three or four who hit the sweet spot. That was just Russell. Uh, and I think that that stands out in a, in a major way. All right. Look, I think it is time to move on. Let's move on. So away from qualifying, Matt, I guess I guess we go to the race. What what do I say here? Where was the race won and lost? I'm not even gonna play the bumper. Right, but where no. what 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 do we what? There was was there a race? Okay, stop, stop. Stop. Was there a race? Yes. All right. You points sure? were awarded. There was a race. Okay. Is that final? Yeah. Points. There's an official classification okay. been published. Um, so, yes, that is final. Of course, barring any appeals, but we're not going to go there right now. <laughs> no, I want to bring up one particular thing about qualifying, because as we all know, the first place the race was won and lost today was qualifying. The order you started in was the order you finished in. So if you didn't do the job yesterday, you couldn't get it done today. But what I want to bring up, not talked about, is the specific lap that Russell did in Q3. And I want to talk about it, not from Russell's point of view, because he absolutely delivered, but from William's point of view. Because they put him out there at the same time as Ocon. Both he and Ocon went out on the wet tires, brought them back in. And this is after the Norris crash, so we only had nine minutes. Put him on the enters. Two push laps after the out lap for Ocon. Williams said, nope, you're going to go do your out lap. You're going to do another lap. You're going to have a fully charged battery. You're going to have hot tires. And you're going to have the track as dry as it's going to be. And you are going to lay waste to everyone's expectations. And that is exactly what he did. So 
what I'm seeing from Williams comes from Yost Capito. And I'm seeing this team really starting to turn itself around from a management and from a technical point of view. I second that. Okay. Kyle, you third it? Yeah, I third <laughs> it. And further to that, um, whilst we're still along the George Russell praise, that puts a lot of pressure on your driver taking that decision of, of, of basically saying you have one chance and one chance only in these conditions. I mean, it takes one snatched wheel to go wide yeah. and to go off. That puts the driver under incredible amounts of pressure. And again, to deliver, it was it it was a great lap. But again, they had not a lot to lose. So they they gambled on that. They gambled on their driver nailing it. They gambled on it. And but but, but you know, hats off to them. They pulled it off. Brilliant. Okay. Might be the rum talking, but did we just go back to qualifying, Matt? What have you done? I cle- I played a bumper, there was a graphic. It's time <laughs> to talk about the race bit. Well, the the qualifying impacted the race today, so it was worth a mention. We, we talked but, about it for... T- whatever, whatever. I'm back from holiday. I'm, I'm tanned. I'm gorgeous. I'm relaxed. I'm not going to Look fight. at what I'm working with here. I'm doing the best I can. Okay. I have a highlight from the race. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, let's go, let's go to that. You've said it now. Did you get the team radio from Lewis Hamilton? No. I'm just... Uh, should I just read it out loud? It's not, uh, there's no curse words or anything. Is it the toilet one? Yes, I'm I'm not going to read it then. Should I? (laughs) Yeah, go on. Uh, Even kids love poop humor. I'm glad I went to the toilet. The one I went to, someone had dropped a crazy bomb in there. The worst thing ever. It's going to haunt me for life. (laughs) And and I'm just sitting there in a kind of rain, wet, and just with that thought in your head that must have been... That was a highlight. Look, it is a highlight because you need things to amuse you when you've got a rain-delayed session and you're just hoping to to give some racing. And I was glued to the TV broadcast the whole time. I, I had to I had to pull my boy away from the TV, even though there was no racing happening, even though it was only the occasional medical car uh, doing rather impressive laps of Spa-Francorchamps, to be fair. We were all still glued because... There's still drama. It's still the people we want to see. We want to see Daniel Ricciardo starting to a Mexican wave around the track and the drivers getting in and out. But but here's where I'm perplexed, Matt. Here was where I'm still perplexed, in fact, was that they started the race. They they set off 19 cars set off. Don't worry, we will. We'll get to that in a mm-hmm. second. A 19 cars set off under the safety car. They did a couple of laps, decided, no, uh, that's not it's not safe. We're going to pull in. And then literally nobody knew whether the race had started or not. In fact, there was a team radio to the FIA saying, has this race started? I didn't know. We disagreed. Did those laps count? Were those race laps? Are those officially race laps? Do you put that fuel back in? Do we have to race those laps later? And just what amazed me, Matt, was just that no one knew. When you were, they were interviewing team principals, no one knew. We didn't know, but they all gave different answers. Well, this is what I love, because you brought me to my second place. The race was won and officially (laughs) lost, which is the lawyers. No, we didn't know. This is the kind of situation that shows up only so rarely that we were playing on the edges of the rules. The rules are sort of written with the general idea of what normally happens in a weekend. This was not that. This was not even close to that. And what I want to say about that in particular, and we did see. is that, you know, we were sitting there, according to the regulations, it's a three-hour maximum 
from the start, from the scheduled start, you have three hours to finish the race. That's it. You're done. If you start a formation lap behind the safety car, that was inarguable. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the Red Bull lawyers went and had a look at the International Sporting Code, got on the phone. And I say the Red Bull lawyers. I've only heard it was a Red Bull lawyers. Someone somewhere <laughs> yeah. pointed out to them that, hey, you know, your stewards have the power to basically do whatever they want, thanks to the International Sporting Code. And that includes just stopping the time, stopping the clock from running and restarting whenever they feel like it. And that is exactly what they did. Had they not done that, had time run out without those laps behind the safety car at the end? Yeah. No points, no race. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I was devastated when I heard about this three-hour rule. So in my head, and this happens from time to time as an F1 fan, you have certain procedures that you just are so used to. So in my head, you have two hours to complete a race. So in a normal race, you set off, and if there's a, you know, if, if they're slow or there's bad conditions and the track is long, then you just have two hours to finish that race. So... I don't think I can't remember a time that it's really happened in normal conditions, but should you reach the two hour point before finishing all the laps as you cross the line at the two hour point, that's the last lap. So that's what I'm used to. If there's then a red flag for an accident or for rain or anything, you have four hours to complete the race in in total. And if you can't get the race started, you can go on essentially as long as you want because the race hasn't started. Monday in my head was always an option. I'm sure there was a race that nearly started on a Monday. But what I'd missed, Kyle, was this three-hour rule that they changed it to three hours from the race starting. It's got to be three hours. And I'm just just distraught because why? Why would you limit yourself with a rule like that? Obviously, the answer is money. Kyle, then Christian. I I completely agree i thought it was the four hour for the event time two hour for the race 
time. And this was brought in, remember, um, after the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix, which had a huge weight in the middle of it. And I think the rule was brought in so we didn't have to see images of Rihanna stumbling around the paddock after too many sherbets, which is what we were treated to at the time. Um, and they brought this four hour in. So I don't know why the logic was. I don't know what the logic is to reduce that to three. And it just massively restricted themselves. So when they actually paused the clock, finally, with only an hour left, I was really happy. I was like, finally, a bit of logic. This is actually giving yourselves a bigger window to operate in. Why didn't they pause it after one hour? Why didn't they pause it at three o'clock UK? Exactly. Um, I think they have to use force majeure. I think they have to really wait until they really, really have to use it. Right. No, I no. I think Matt's got a point here. Sorry, Christian. I think Matt's got a point here, which is that they were never going to use the force majeure. It's just that uh, uh, Red Bull is the speculation from you, isn't it, Matt? Are the ones that that put it to them at that point when the time had already ticked away. And I think the teams were taken by surprise that the counter, the clock had already started. And once they realised the clock had started and there was less chance of getting a race, that's when they started ticking and making suggestions to the FIA. The force majeure came at the point that everybody realised that that was an option and agreed that was an option, which left us with an hour's racing. I think if they'd have made that argument earlier, they'd have been able to do it earlier and had two hours racing. Christian. So the the whole uh, the, the whole uh, F1 circus is basically built on TV contracts. So all the money that comes into Formula One comes from uh, media contracts. And usually what Bernie Egglestone was so brilliant at was to make individual contracts with everyone and make people pay way too much and some uh, in and Monaco not pay so much and so forth. Uh, The problem with this is uh, the the major networks, they have schedules. And so – in Canada, for instance, which was uh, our time, our time zone was a night race that messed up their time schedules all over the plate. And you can't mess up a Sunday night time schedule on a, a major broadcast network. Things are different nowadays. Uh, mostly uh, they have dedicated streaming channels or uh, if you race during the day, you don't really have that sm- that much pressure on your broadcast schedule. So that is why it's different nowadays. Uh, and I'm, I'm fairly sure they will look at the rules uh, uh, maybe between the now and next season. Uh, Matt, and this is a conversation we were having, which is, yes, there might be a regulation laid down in stone, but at the end of the day, they're going to do what's best for the event. And so the force majeure, I mean, rain, is that a force majeure? It sort of makes a mockery. When you have caveats like that, it basically means Here's our intention, but we can actually do whatever we want all the time. So there's people in the chat there saying the start time is governed absolutely by the the TV schedule and when you say we're going to start. However, as we've clearly seen, the start can be delayed. These time limits can be extended so they can do whatever they want, essentially. Well, the international sporting code. And so just to be clear, what we're talking about here in the rule book is regulations 5.4B oh, and 6.4 regarding the start of the race we all knew and that. regarding yeah. the sporting code, what they referenced was 11.9.3.0. O is mm-hmm. in the letter, not as in the number, because I know there's going to be at least three people who are going to go look that up now. So you're welcome. Um, but with regards to the TV contracts, yeah, there probably is and I know, um, and I remember a long time ago having a conversation with Gary Hartstein, who was the yes. F1 doctor for a while. Oh, yes. I forgot we had Gary Hartstein on our live stream. Yeah, that was wonderful. And, I like that. And, and 
he said, like, uh, in ref- this is in reference to Suzuka 2014 with Jules Bianchi. He said that the pressure that would be brought to bear on them to approve the start of a race in conditions where, say, the helicopter couldn't fly yeah. was tremendous. And I asked him, I'm like, well, what, what would your response be? And he said, I would, I would tell Bernie that as soon as he signed a contract saying that he was fully liable for anything that might happen mm. on track, they could go ahead and start the race. Otherwise, no. And uh, it, it, for people who are going to argue about whether they should have done what they did and it's all about the money, like, yeah, it is all about the money because at the end of the day, this is a business that has a sport attached to it, not vice versa. Someone's saying they dozed off at the mention of the rules. And I, I'm sorry, I don't know if uh, non-Brits know about the program Red Dwarf, but as soon as you started going like, Article 4.5672, my mind instantly went, oh, no officer may wear a ginger wig at a tea party. So there's a bit of a niche <laughs> reference there. I do apologise. Kyle? There's also a little bit more to it as well. And um, I think it's Kevin, somebody who's genuinely called Kevin, um, oh. Rosco in the um, in the uh, Slack group live stream mentioned a will trackside spectators get a refund. Now, I think this plays a part of the decision process as well to make him run yeah. a certain amount of laps to then consider consider it an event. And then once it's considered an event that has been run, they have fulfilled their ticket obligations. They don't have to provide a refund to all of those fans. Now, we had a similar situation from a customary MotoGP comment at the British MotoGP a couple of years ago at Silverstone, um, where it was really, really wet, and they just straight up cancelled the event in the end. They didn't try to run it, and they cancelled it. And I do believe that a lot of the spectators either got their tickets deferred to the next year or received the full refund. Formula One have ensured that that's not going to happen. And I think Lewis mentioned this at the end yeah. of the race, and I don't think he's too happy about it. Um, but again, it's not Formula One as such. It's the circuit owners that will be paying the price for that, basically. Kevin? Uh, the force majeure rule? Uh, I'm just reacting to it. <laughs> Christian, uh, The force majeure rule, uh, that could be a problem for the track. So if, if Formula One used force majeure to cancel a race or postpone it or whatever, uh, that would be the reason, and they would have to adapt to as well. And that might not uh, uh, give them the insurance money to pay people. So just uh, putting it out there. <laughs> okay, look, we're into like logistics, but yeah. this is reflecting a lot of the arguments that people were having online. And Monday, that was a thing. Why can't we have the race on Monday? So in my mind, I'm, I'm sure, I'm so sure that Monday was an option long a long time ago. But the argument that kept coming up and up again was, well, the marshals have all got to go to work. They've got normal jobs. They're volunteers. They don't get paid for this. So they can't take another day off. And I just wanted to make the quick point again to the point of being burdensome and tiresome. Well, why don't we pay the marshals? Let's pay marshals. And then in their contract, some of those marshals, because not all of them will be required for one race on a Monday. Those marshals are there for all the events all weekend. So so I asked on Twitter, someone told me there's around a thousand marshals for a race weekend at Spa. Okay, so I don't know, plucking a number out of my butt. 500 of those are on a retainer contract that says if it's on a Monday, you have to go there because the teams, they can all work. The FIA, they can all work. They'll all have contracts that say, you can go and work on a Monday if we need you. Pay the marshals. There's a thousand marshals. What's a good day rate? What's a good day rate in Europe for a marshal for the day? Considering it's quite a a high profile thing and it's a fun thing and people do enjoy doing it. 
150 euros, 200 euros for the day, 200 euros for the day. So 200,000 euros on the scale of what F1 and the teams are spending, 200,000 visitors to Spa on a weekend at least. Let's pay, let's pay an extra pound, all of us, to go and watch the Grand Prix so that marshals get paid. Why don't we do that and stop using, well, the marshals are volunteers as as an excuse, Carl. I'm getting sick of hearing that the marshals are volunteers. Let's give them a day rate and let's get really good ones. How much is the ticket now? I don't know. A general, uh, I think that's really expensive. 80, 90 quid, 80, 90 quid. So your your marshal tax on top of that doesn't feel like a lot. Uh, Oh, no, for a general admission at Silverstone, isn't it like 90 quid, 120 quid? More. More? Okay. Yeah. Well, even then, it it pales in comparison. The marshals are doing basically a skilled role. They're doing a skilled role. So let's, and and by paying them, you will increase the standard as well, like even more. I, I completely agree. I was a marshal myself for a few years, albeit for the bikes and not for um, Formula One, but I did the big international events. And uh, and yeah, we were volunteers. You have to go. You have to know what you're doing. You have to go and pass calls and be signed off and do club races. I will fully support marshals getting paid, but I don't think it will ever happen because most people would love to be a marshal because you get some of the best seats in the house. So <laughs> well, yes. if the marshals are demanding being paid, they're just going to get people who are going to do it. No, 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 no. Paid. Okay, not and demanding. As, this is not. As, this is not the. I'll be clear. I'm not saying the marshals should go on strike for pay. Oh no. I'm saying oh, no. us as motorsport should start respecting what the marshals do. It can still be competitive, and and like being an actor is paid low generally because people want to do it. But we should cover their expenses, give them a day rate, and have them on a contract. That means if we need a Monday race, they'll stay and do it. I, I completely agree. Uh, the marshals getting paid would be one of the best things ever. It, it would be great. But for the Monday race, uh, I hope I pronounce your name right, Weitzer van Bruggen in the um, chat points out it's not just marshals on Monday. There's police presence, food, drinks, logistics, pra- track personnel, etc. It is a huge upheaval and it's not a bank holiday in Belgium on Monday. Okay, I'm just going to talk to you, Matt, because Carl's making too many. Look, the logistics. I did, I'm an ideas man. I haven't worked out all the details. I'm just saying. I just wanted to make my point about the marshals, and now you're making it about the ice cream salesman outside. You've ruined everything, Carl, as usual. Matt. Yeah, well, I think the point you bring up is exactly why it couldn't have happened, which is basically that if you wanted to do that, it would be it would need to be written into everyone's contracts that such yeah, a yeah, thing yeah. was yeah, possible. Yeah, 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 we'll do um, that. And, and having said that, like, you have even the teams moving freight and stuff like that. Like it's one thing to rebook all your personnel on the team's tickets home, but it's another thing when you have to move all of your freight from here to there by next Thursday for scrutineering. Look, which I'm, is I'm, what I'm, has to happen. I'm old. I've got a bit of a sh- shoulder injury, but I could I could throw a gear wheel from Sparta Zamvort, uh, Christian. Well, I totally agree. I, I think the, the marshals should get maybe not a paycheck, but get something in, in reward. We should also remember that uh, these people are there for the for the love of the sport. So it's 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 a bit like going somewhere with a friend, being up close to the racing, actually having a job on the day. It's also an experience. And I think if you could find something in between those two things, so maybe the payment was uh, uh, all the marshals could go see a car in the woods or maybe <laughs> well, have a trip around the uh, something something that was special for them on the day or during the weekend. That would make sense. Danish Christmases are very different. Now listen here, your Christmas <laughs> present is to go and see a car in the woods. Okay, that's my generic <laughs> European accent. I'm sorry, I said the woods. That's because it's very woody there. <laughs> that's true. All right. Okay. So we can't avoid this for much longer, Kyle. 
the nineteen cars made the made the grid. Mm. <laughs> nineteen cars made the grid. Again, a massive Sergio Perez fan. I've been wishing him all the best. Was delighted to see him get the new contract. I think um, overall that is the right decision for Red Bull to give Perez the contract. He was very kind of optimistic about it in the sense that well, it's a reset in twenty twenty two. It, those cars could suit me. He has a distinct driving style. They could suit him. It's not inconceivable that they could suit him to the point that he could have a reasonable shot at, at being the number one driver at Red Bull. Chances are it would still be with Verstappen, but he, in his mind, he's got a shot because it's a big reset. He's not driving the new car anymore. But geez, too many of these mm-hmm. this season, eh? Too many of these. Yeah, he was a bit... It looked like he was pushing slightly too hard, understeered. As soon as he hit that curb, he was doomed and straight off to the barrier. Now, you could criticise him for pushing really hard on the sighting laps, but they're encouraged to push. This this might be their only opportunity they get to, to sample feel, how yeah. much grip there may be when they arrive there in like 40 minutes' time. So he has to go for it. As for whether he should be allowed back into the race, Ooh, this is really open yeah, for debate because good one. I think mm. the procedures and the way they kind of did the race start I think the procedures kind of contradicted themselves and it's a bit of a grey area, really. Um, I initially thought no way they're going to allow him back into the race. But as soon as we heard them conversing with with Michael Massey yeah. on the pit wall, we said, oh, well, they might actually be considering this. And But they didn't follow loads of other procedures. So hopefully Matt, in his genius, uh, can unravel it. OK, OK, OK. So, Matt, yeah, in your unravelling, I thought initially no chance because he didn't get back to the pit lane under his own power. And it feels like the Red Bull argument was, well, so what? The, all the other cars went up on trolleys, had loads of work done on it. What does it matter if we towed Perez's car back? And I, I was surprised when Massa was like, hang on a minute, I'll check back and then let him in. I honestly thought and would have agreed with, no, you you crashed. You couldn't get back to the pits. You're You're out. I thought that was the rule. Well, everyone thinks that's a rule because that's a rule in Le Mans. In um, any sports car race. However, as it happens, while many people did things like laundry or heavy drinking during the extended delay, <laughs> I spent a lot of my time digging through the sporting code. Mm. And what I discovered was that the relevant regulation simply states that the car has to make it to the end of the pit lane under their own power, and they can join after the formation lap goes by at the back. And I will raise the specific example, which we have all seen, of the grid being lined up, someone raising their hand and waving like mad, the start being waved off, and that car being pushed by marshals into the pit lane, restarted, and then taking the start at the end of the pit lane exit. It's actually very, it's, there's not really a lot of great about it. There's okay. nothing that prevents the marshals from recovering the car, returning it to the pit lane. The only requirement is that it, the car itself gets to the end of the pit lane under its own power. Was that unwrapped enough for you, Kyle? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, but so you're saying that overrules the original. So they still have, are like are bound under the originals. They have to have the tires off. That's what Mercedes brought up because, well, there's other protocols that they now haven't haven't done because they they're in the pit lane. They didn't have their tires off. They weren't actually, they didn't make it to the grids. They didn't follow yeah. the grid protocols. That was the flex yeah. Mercedes were taking. No, and, and that's that. I agreed with that, Matt. And I, I, I'm still struggling to, to see why a car that wasn't on the start grid 
can suddenly, after two laps, be part of the race? Uh, because they mentioned the reconnaissance laps, specifically a car not, not making it back in the reconnaissance laps. I am indeed looking for the, the exactly relevant regulation while I'm also on the show, which is something I'm not really that good at, if I'm being honest. But my memory of looking at the regs is that they, they do mention this, like, in, if, if it doesn't make it to in the reconnaissance lap, et cetera, and so on. Do you want me to... St- I'll stall for you and make another quick oh, point good. while you look those up. Um, basically, See, Christian, um, these, uh, these non-broadcasters, they're, they're picking this so, up, aren't sorry, they? Yeah. Sorry, who are you guys? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. what? Another, uh, thing, another thing to the Perez thing is, if the race would have started, he would have had two more laps of fuel in the car than everyone else because they're not going to yeah. take the fuel out. So this is another thing that's making me think it wasn't completely above board because it's like, hang on a minute. He's yeah. done theory, done two laps less than the whole grid. And then we'll be on the, yeah, this is, this is where it was a whole can of worms for me. Like it, it was irrelevant because the race didn't start, but if the race had started and ran for more than an hour, he would have potentially been in a fuel positive situation compared to everyone else. Except for he under red flag conditions was in the garage where the amount of fuel can be adjusted however you like. In fact, that was oh. a huge advantage for him compared to the other cars on the grid, which at best could simply run their engines to try and burn off fuel they no longer needed. Because, of course, no one remembered that there was a new rule about how many laps would be in the race, depending upon how many delayed starts there were. I did find the following for you under race starting procedure 38.1. Any car which does not complete a reconnaissance lap and reach the grid under its own power will not be permitted to start the race from the grid. Got it. Which kind of implies that they will be uh, allowed to start the race. All right. Okay. So I I think we're reaching a reasonable end for a race review that essentially didn't have a race. I've enjoyed all those talking points and... uh, and I, I think we made the right decision to to go ahead with that. The other option was to delay till Monday and do a proper new show. But I'm happy that we sort of shared and recapped the experience we all had over four soggy, miserable hours of Spa-Francorchamps. I agree. I just want to bring up, and this is my own personal opinion. You're not going back to qualifying again, are you? No. Okay. No, I'm just not. Check in. I just uh-huh. remember watching, I think it was Verstappen leaving the pits. And just slithering around the pit exit when they went out for the last time. And I'm thinking about Imola, where we saw people just driving around on a wet track behind the safety car and spinning, going off. I know people are going to be upset that overtaking wasn't allowed. Yeah. But I don't want to overlook the amount of skill that was required to keep cars (laughs) like that on track at those speeds on cold tires. Of course. And with the brakes starting to cool down as well. Yep. Yeah, I, I was really surprised to see Max being so aggressive behind the safety car and going down into, I think it's the, um, I think it's Malmody after Lecoums, the right-hander down the hill. He almost collected the safety yeah. car. He he was testing out the karting, the wet line around the outside, being really aggressive, trying to get some front tyre attempts. I think the safety car actually had a bit of a moment on the inside and was drifting wide. Max had to get out of it because he would have collected the safety car. So I was actually, there was a real, uh, I was worried for George. He's got form here before. And I was like, oh no, please, please don't drop it. But there was a real risk, as Matt says, of somebody silly stuffing it into the barriers and throwing away a great result. Psychologically, I think the Perez off on the outlap will have given the drivers a bit of a a real warning. You know, not generally a reckless driver. Uh, True, first to admit, I don't think Perez is the, the greatest 
in in wet conditions, certainly not in the Red Bull, certainly not this season. But a lot of them will have been tiptoeing around, especially cautiously, because of that. And uh, I, 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 like Carl, I was surprised that we didn't get any incidents after the safety car. I was entirely confident that had we gone green after the you know the final go out, if they had not come in, if they'd have gone green, if it had not started raining again, even in the even if it stopped raining. We were red flagging immediately. There was going to be an incident. And, and overall, uh, I'm pretty pleased that they came in. But the, the direction I want to go to, Matt, now, I think, to finish our race review off, is that the race was classified as a race. They made a decision to go out and do safety car laps. So we have to get into the minds of race control here. Why did they go out with an hour to go? As the rain was starting to get heavier, it was instantly apparent that the conditions were worse. Like, nearly instantly, they were worse. Max Verstappen was saying they were worse, but we can discount that because he had nothing to lose. He wanted the race to end. He had his half points. Perez was at the back going, this is fine. We should definitely race from here. We can discount that as well as completely motivated reasoning from both Red Bull drivers. But here we go, Christian. Did they go out to fulfill contracts to get those two laps so they could do the half points or did they go out with the best of intentions to try and start the race and then go oh no it didn't work therefore the half points thing happens i'm happy with the second one if they went out with the intention to race and they couldn't get the laps in and they made the decision to come in then i'm happy with the half points if they went out with the intention to tick boxes so that they could give the half points and fulfill contracts. I'm unhappy. And those points to me are poor. What do you think, Christian? Uh, obviously don't have the, the answer to that. No, you can't read their mind. I uh, know that. Yes. No, but uh, it's a loose, loose situation because uh, I think, I think actually, I think today showed that everyone just wanted to make it happen. Everyone just put on their yes hat and just tried to make it happen, even for the Paris situation and everything, all the communication with the FIA. I think they did their absolute best to try all scenarios, even though when they went out, I'm pretty sure everyone knew this is not going to happen because nothing's changed. Uh, and even if it's changed a little bit, nothing will have changed in half an hour again. So I think just everyone uh, tried their best today to to give a race to the audience and the, the TV viewers, but it just wasn't to be. I think, I actually think the current world situation with COVID and with a calendar that's compressed, trying to get so many races in, I think if we didn't have a calendar that was trying to squeeze what now 22 races in, that they would have taken the decision to just call it early and postpone the race and do it later in the year or try to find another slot for it. But because they've already had all of this reshuffling and jiggery pokery trying to make it work and they still can't absolutely confirm the schedule yet, I think that played a part in them feeling that they had to get something done today. There isn't time to come back later in the race. They had to do it today. There were multiple broadcasters talking about a clearing happening between, well, I don't know, maybe 15 after and 30 after the hour when they started. And I, I remember having a conversation with Brad on WhatsApp about they should just be out there behind the safety car in any event in case the miraculous happens and suddenly you get a, you get a spurt of time where you could indeed um, race the cars. 
they're on track, they're ready to go. I think they saw that as their last opportunity okay. to make anything happen. And, oh, by the way, if we do this also, then our TV broadcasters, you know, our mm. promoter for the race, everybody is happy that this happens. And we've got a chance of maybe getting some actual racing in. I don't know. What else are you going to do at that point? So I, let, I'm, I'm happy for the rule of charity to say it was a genuine attempt to have some racing action. It didn't work out. And they just happened. Oh, look, it happened to work out. Happy coincidence. They've done those two laps. They fulfilled it as an event. They fulfilled the contracts, tick all the boxes. I'm going to make you guys now the FIA in a situation where you know, you absolutely know that no racing will happen. Is it right to go out behind the safety car do two laps and award half points, Kyle. What what would you have done? You know there's no racing. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I believe that was the situation that, that they were in. I I genuinely okay. believe they, they knew that racing was not going to happen. Uh, okay. With the amount of pressures on them and the aforementioned calendar pressures with the contracts as well and everyone there and the TV thing. Um, Fully, they 100... This is my personal view. I yes. fully 100% think that they knew there wasn't going to be any racing whatsoever and it was a box tick exercise essentially okay well in that case matt i am less comfortable with that and i'm less comfortable with from a sporting point of view points being awarded for this quote unquote race and i shall have to take issue with my friend kyle here because if the forecast was there's no chance and there was indeed no chance. I do believe it would be the first rain forecast this entire last yeah. two seasons yeah. that was even remotely correct. I think That's when it comes point. to weather, people tend to mistake specificity for accuracy. And being accurate in such a small geographic region is incredibly difficult. So if you think there's half a chance, you take it. And I think that's exactly what they did. Granted. But then why did they leave it so long before they stopped the clock? Yeah. Because they, they, they gave themselves a narrow window then, essentially, to try to get some racing in. Well, I yeah. genuinely believe after about 20 minutes or something into there, they were like, it's not happening today. Let's try and make it look like it's happening, but let's get those boxes ticked. Because if I am correct in my understanding, the idea they could do that didn't turn up until very close to the time that they actually did it. I.e. one of the teams said, you should go look at this regulation. Yeah. And they did. There's also the, the, the small human element to it. So, uh, but for all the fans, it's worth just going around two times. At least you've tried, shown them you've tried. I yeah. think that means a lot as well. Yeah. And uh, there were some people saying, well, you know, they were going around. Why not keep, why not just keep going around? Just to do the race under the safety car, just so we can go, oh, F1 car is pretty. That would make me cry. <laughs> Matt. Greg Snowman in the chat makes the interesting point. They did compete. It was just on Saturday. They deserve for the competing they did. FIA made the right decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And look, um, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's an event that I can't remember it really ever happening. I can't remember the race result outside of Monaco being so technically decided by Saturday. So we're just not used to it. And it's happened this one occasion. It's very likely that in all our F1 watching, in all our lives, we'll we'll never see that happen again. But there is an argument, which I think is reasonable, that over the course of the race weekend, the points are awarded for who did better. 
And since no one was able to show what they did on Saturday, the only measure we have on Sunday, the only measure we have of who did better was Saturday, and they didn't get the full points. However, you know, look at the whole weekend. Who did best? Max Verstappen. So he got the half points on offer. Who did second best? George Russell. He got nine points. And uh, by the way, Matt, I don't think George Russell is bothered one little bit. I didn't watch the podium ceremony, but he certainly looked very happy when it was announced. And uh, in his mind, that will be a podium. Yeah, well, and and it is. I mean, let's think about poor Carlos Sainz, who twice was awarded third place after the podium yes. had happened. Yes, you know. I mean, look if 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 you're gonna if you're gonna call me up a week later and say, oh, by the way, you finished third in a Formula One race, I'd be like, groovy. It's going on my resume, you know. <laughs> I was um, I saw the podium, and yeah, it was good. It was fairly muted but there were some celebrations i thought george was going to go full tiago montero from the 2005 usa grand prix you know the car the race of only six cars where everyone was sort of somber on a podium and he just went now nah, i've got a podium i'm celebrating this fully and just went just like the meme with the guy in the shell suit and the uh trophy in the medal and kissing the girl and then sticking his fingers up at everyone like i thought george was going to just go just fully for it um he didn't um Chris Stevens in our group chat made a very good point because we were arguing why did they even bother going to the podium? But of course there's um, contractual obligations to be met and stuff like that and sponsors and stuff like that. So that's, so that's why, um, but it was nice to see some sort of celebrations, but yeah, to him, George was funny. Brundle even said it like, I'm amazed he's keeping a straight face when he was in an interview in the middle of it. He goes, I think we should just do two more laps. Maybe just maybe just try to do that. And it guarantees I get second. <laughs> And we don't blame him uh, one bit. I think in a George Russell interview later on, he sort of made the point the team kind of deserves some kind of reward for all the effort that they've done and all the good performance that they've done on a Saturday. I'll caveat, I'll disagree with, I'll interrupt myself to disagree with myself right there because I do think that Williams prioritised Saturday in an era where actually Sunday has more weight. I think more than any other era in Formula One, since I've been alive, setting up for the race is more important and, and qualifying is the least crucial it's ever been. But yes, they've they've had enough glory on a Saturday for it to be rewarded with points and uh, and that podium. And who knows, like Kyle was describing at the beginning of the show, you hustle at the front, you overtake Verstappen, you hold him up, he gets in a battle with Hamilton, they crash out, uh, Vettel then has to fend off Carlos signs, and that Williams has enough straight-line speed to make himself difficult throughout the course of the weekend. Russell was denied the chance to, to do that uh, and to fight, uh, as was everyone, of course. But yeah, those, those three were given points in the order of goodness for everything that they could demonstrate this weekend, which was Saturday. I don't know. I'm, str- I'm, I'm, I'm not actually trying to like, I'm not a massive George Russell fan, Kyle. I'm not trying to gift him points that he didn't deserve. I've really been struggling in my head with this, should we have given points for this quote unquote race or not? And I have landed just slightly on the, the side of, as it worked out is perfectly fine by me. Yeah, I think as it worked out, I mean, it was, I mean, let's sort of weigh it up. It was very, very challenging qualifying. They did a fantastic job in qualifying um, and they got rewarded for it, albeit only half points. And one thing we haven't mentioned is Verstappen put in a fantastic qualifying. I think he was running very skinny rear wing compared to everyone else. He stuck it on the line and right at the last 
at the death, once again, he delivers a monster lap, a brilliant lap with, you could argue, a car that is not optimised for those conditions. I think he was a bit skinny on downfalls, as maybe the Merck was as well. The Williams, fully optimised for those conditions. Max yeah. put it on pole. He beat everyone and has taken the points for it, albeit only half. So was that deserved? Yeah, you could argue, yes, yes, that was deserved his points. George's points are always going to be deserved in a lot of people's eyes. But yeah, um, for Williams doing well on Sassay, Yes, it, yeah, I think yeah. I think it was deserved. In my opinion, it's deserved. I, I will just say from here on in, I just I want that kind of opinion of mine. You can hold me to it. You can definitely hold me to it. Which is qualifying is less important in my mind for for this modern era. Um, and I I'm, I'm disappointed I didn't get to see the battle between the Verstappen setup trade offs and the Hamilton setup trade offs. I think we were robbed. We were robbed of a fantastic and intriguing strategic battle today. But safety won out, and some people will be unhappy with that. But I'm not. I'm, I, I, I respect the decision the FIA made, and I just really hope we get some racing in Zandvoort, and I really hope it's not the Monaco without walls scenario that it seems to be, uh, that some people seem to be saying. I hope we do get some decent ra- racing there. Maybe maybe a sprinkle of rain. How about that, mate? Matt, just a sprinkle of rain to make a tight and twisty track just interesting enough. Uh, yeah, let's go back to the enters to slicks yeah. kind of rain. Because that that's where it really yeah. gets to be fun. <laughs> Tell you what, uh, you can't follow Christian. You can't even, I can't even say go to Denmark. If you know where I live, you can. I can't even then say you can, you- go to Denmark and follow the tall, handsome, light-haired fellow because you all look like that in Denmark. Uh, I'm not sure how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being, yes, okay. Uh, you can't follow him, but we are trying to persuade him to set up a, a Mist Apex kind of centric Twitter account. Uh, as, I, as I said last yeah. time, if you have any idea, I actually had an idea. I'm not sure if this is possible, but I okay. have like a folder somewhere with like thousands of Formula One picks. And we could set up like an, an Instagram, Instagram account. Only with those pictures. Yeah, we can do. Kev- Kevin at Mist Apex does yeah. photo pics and uh, something like that. We'll set. We'll hook it up. Do yeah. follow Kyle I though. Did, go, go on, Christian. Sorry. I, one last comment yes. about today. Um, I've realized Sebastian Vettel is going to be the new Charlie Whiting, isn't he? He he could be the future of F one. He has done. Just think about it. Yeah. Think about it. He will be the perfect race director in five, six, seven years. He has become everyone's F1 dad. Like he, Honestly, I just think he ends every Grand Prix by turning lights off and tutting and, and closing doors and saying, were you, were you born in a barn? We're not, we're not made of money. I, I think he does that. And, and uh, him pulling over and checking that Lando Norris was okay. You would hope that we would all do that. But in reality, very few people do. But he's he's F one's dad, and he's just pulled over and gone. Are you all right, son? Are you all right? But lad? also in the in the segment with uh, uh, with the Schumacher, where he drove his dad's old car, uh, suddenly uh, 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 Sebastian just came in from the side, just told him how to do everything about the gears and all small details about this Jordan racer from ninety one. It was just so. Wh- where where did he come from? I mean, what's up? <laughs> That was absolutely wonderful. I am going to stick it out there now and saying I've always been a Vettel fan. I've always stuck up for him and he did very anglicised. I've said it on the podcast yeah. before. He's probably the F1 driver I'd like to go for a pint with the most. Um, if he does become Charlie Whiting, that's an interesting idea. If he does become the race director, he can call himself a flipper. 
during the race <laughs> as well, couldn't he? <laughs> yeah. No, I disagree with that though, Kyle. Um, it's got to be. You, you've got to say Gasly probably puts the best best night out on. You've got. Come on, oh, of all no. that young crop, they're all nerds. Ricciardo, no doubt. Ricciardo, Ricciardo or Gasly? Because look, look, hang on. I know. Look, look, all the Twitch guys. I mean, they're kind of nerds, aren't they? They're kind of, Norris, Russell. They were nerds at school. We're we're going out with Gasly and Ricciardo. Tell you what, me and me and Christian will go out with uh, Ricciardo and Gasly. You go for a night out with the uh, with Russell and Norris. Enjoy no. your enjoy your prawn sandwiches. Fettel, I ain't going out with the young ones because the music's going to be all this boom, boom, pop thing that I can't handle. Um, I like Ricardo's prone to a bit of metal. He likes a bit of metal yeah. and also Vettel. I can imagine sharing a pint of Guinness discussing the final points of Monty Python with Vettel, for instance, over a pint. That's my sort of night. Kyle is on social media reluctantly. We made him. He is at Kyle Power F1. Go and give him a follow on Twitter. Matt is at MattPT55 on Twitter and on Facebook as Matt2Rumpets. Again, an account I had to bully people. Hmm, maybe I'm the problem bullying people into <laughs> social media accounts. But if you want to see pictures of trumpets, which is what he posts, go and follow Matt at uh, on uh, Facebook. Matt, Matt Trumpets on there. Anything else, Matt? I could argue with Gary Anderson's take on whether or not they should have raced, if you really want. Uh, I want to hear it. 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 Do it. 30 seconds. Very simple. He says it shouldn't have been down to visibility. It should only be aquaplaning. And I'd argue that at any other track, he'd probably be right. But at Spa, given the disasters we've had with people not even being able to see up the hill in much more dry conditions... Yeah, not a chance it should be taken. And if you're going to slate the FIA for all the things they did wrong, you got to give them props for getting this one right. They should not have been racing uh, I, without the safety car. I, I agree. And there's a lot of old school racers out there who are very well informed people who are, are very intelligent. They've got a vast knowledge of motorsport. And they have taken risks in their racing career and they've come out the other end and they've had their war wounds and their scars. And as I used to say, wounds heal and glory last forever. But they're on the other side of that career now. And we do live in different times and we do have a different tolerance to what we have as acceptable losses. And I just we, we, we've got to exactly. look after. We've got to look after the guys that are out there doing the sport we love for our entertainment, we don't want to willfully make the same mistake twice. Something will always pop up that you didn't anticipate and it will bite you because that's right, motorsport is dangerous. But when you know about a thing, when you know it's there and then you gun for it to continue, you're advocating some some gladiatorial spectator gore fest that I don't think is justified in this world anymore uh, that's my opinion tell me i'm wrong email me matt at mistapex.net <laughs> uh, feedback at mistapex.net spanners at mistapex.net i do i do appreciate it's an emotive subject i have my views on it i i i too appreciate the the danger and the adrenaline and the bravery of these drivers i i just think that once you identify an issue it's our responsibility to gun for it to 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 not repeat and to not go into a, that particular situation again uh, i hope that i'm not too much of a wet lettuce for our missed apex viewers but i do also want to encourage people to follow matt's wife 
not in the street like you would with Christian, but on Twitter <laughs> at A Weaver Wright. She is an author. She sells books. The links to those books and to all the social media we try to promote is in the show notes below. There is also a link which I put suspiciously near the top to support us on Patreon. If you enjoy what we do, we are only here because of Patreon support and you guys have voted with your wallets basically to say, I will do a micro payment every month to keep Missed Apex on the road. So from $1 to $10 to a million dollars if you're a fancy billionaire, but you can support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. There's a bunch of tiers. The most popular one is the $5 a month tier where you get extra content. You can join us in our patron Slack group for the live streams and just for general discussions with the panel about golf, health and fitness, iRacing, Formula One and a range of stuff. It really is a lovely forum. But most of all, you get the warm, fluffy feeling of being responsible for an independent content creator like us being able to try and kind of compete with some of the bigger boys in our in our battle zone until next time which will hopefully be a race review although there may be some interesting midweek content as well until next time in zandvoort i'd ask you to work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast Do you, do you know what, Matt? I've had a slight change of heart. Why don't we just just for a change? We we didn't do the other awards, and I think that was correct. But why don't we do? Comment of the week. <laughs> why don't I mix it up? What do you think? Should we do comment of the week? What do, what do you reckon? Up to you. Up to you. You choose. I don't mind. Either way, I don't mind. <laughs> do I have a suggestion? Okay, go on. Uh, well, let's do Carl's suggestion first. Then it was from. Um... Jacko Lightthelm, mm-hmm. two mins, and we call it a podcast <laughs> right at the very start. <laughs> well, who wins? I win, don't I? Just for being the the I most guess. recently tanned. Oh, and by the way, I have to show off to the live stream my dragon glitter tattoo. Ooh, if a five year old oh, wow. tells you to get a dragon glitter, glitter tattoo, you get a dragon glitter <laughs> tattoo, and it will not come off. That was one week ago. It is stuck permanently to my body. Tried battery acid, skid remover. <sighs> I didn't even try soap. You know me. Uh, <laughs> go on, Matt. What, can you compete with that? All right. Um, I'm going to start with our friend Stuart Neal. Is this the missed Apex podcast that they talk about on the BBC F1 radio commentary? They did. Well, I, uh, Jack Nichols, they were talking with uh, Jolian Palmer uh, on their broadcast. A big fan of their broadcast. They were talking about awards they have. And Jack Nichols mentioned, like, I don't know, Silver Swimming Award or whatever. And then he said, oh, yes, I did also get a missed Apex podcast karting award for uh the heavy heaviest driver we had an over 100 kilogram uh category he's not yeah. a big fat guy he is just like he's eight foot tall enormously he tall. just has a lot of bones and he's still surprisingly fast so he gave us a big shout out so i messaged him and i said thank you so much for the missed apex podcast tribute on the street he insisted it wasn't a tribute uh but i i am firm that i heard what i wanted to hear who else who else is a contender for comment of the week I think we are going to go with our friend EJ when we were talking about the um, bandwidth problems of the visor cam saying most drivers should be 5G compatible via their vaccines. Oh, God. I'm so <laughs> sick of that joke. I'm so sick of that. Get vaccinated. But I mean, come on. That was kind of funny. Yeah, maybe.
Um, we have Rap Garage, Russell threatening to be most handsome on the grid with that podium smile. Oh my goodness, he is prepped. He's got a team. He has got a team in between, like he takes his helmet off, he disappears behind a canvas, and then his hair. He's like Johnny Bravo. Hi, I'm amazing and Instagram ready. Look at my face and hair. I'm amazing. Yep, and I think we'll finish with another Russell comment, this time from our friend Evangelos Heteroclitus. Russell control all of F1 by saying something like, we actually sacrificed quality for race pace. Yeah, he could mess with us. Who's your winner, Matt? Oh, I don't know. This is a challenging, challenging one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we'll go for Jaco Ligdelms. Kyle's comment, whatever it was, because I don't have it written down. (laughs) Kyle, you must remember. I shall read it out. Two mins and we call it a podcast. Right at the very start. Well, you're the winner. You're the winner. It's comment of the week. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Oh, two seconds. I've got the bumper for this. I've got to press two buttons. Comment of the week. I achieved it. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think that an hour and a half, an hour and a half for no competitive laps. What? It just shows how much we leave on the table for normal race reviews because we would love to just go off on tangent. And I'm pretty, kind of, no, focus in on the, the thing and the strategy and the what's it. But, you know, there, there's always a... I, here's an anecdote. Anecdote. Okay, before Mist Apex started, hmm, in between... So we started, you and me, Matt, on a different website long, long ago. We did. The site of which we will not speak its name. Nope. And then before that, it's probably going to give away which organisation it was, we started doing uh, various bits and bobs and getting involved. And then out of that, the e-radio show with the Formula E show came up. Yep. This guy said to me, I said, well, I really want to do a Formula One show again. And I was talking if he would be interested in their network having a Formula One show. He said to me, no, I would never do a podcast on a, a Formula One because there's so many boring races. What would you talk about if <laughs> there's a boring race? And I just, I said to him straight, I said, are you mad? I said, are you mad? The boring races are the easiest from a broadcast point of view because you've got a blank slate to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Endless speculation. And I remember having the same conversation about off-season content. Yeah, like, yeah, There yeah. will be stuff to talk about. I'm like, are you joking? I know. And, that's, and, and people sort of think it's a, it's a weird thing. Why do you keep doing shows like over winter? There is one other show I know. Again, I don't want to, I won't name them because I, I don't want to like, I don't want to be attacking other shows. And like Fair Play, they do content all through the winter, but they spend the whole time going, oh, bloody hell, we've got nothing to talk about. Uh, what's your favorite baguette? And, and you're like, no, you don't need to call your favourite baguette. There's, there's a, a hundred years of history of motorsport or whatever. To, not a hundred years, but you know what I mean? Like there's the decades of things to talk about and to speculate about and rules and driving techniques and the tech side. How are you talking about your baguette? But yeah. Uh, anyway. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.